Welcome to the clay table where we talk about all things coffee and other random stuff. I'm Lisette. I'm Ernest. And we're from Clay Pigeon Trading, a specialty coffee bar in Cape Town, South Africa. That's it. So you guys can follow us on YouTube. If you do, please hit the notification bell and subscribe to our channel so that you're notified every time we launch a podcast. Yeah. And if you're listening to us on SoundCloud, please follow us. We have one follower and I deleted that person because the content was inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> so please follow us. This happens. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. So I think last time we kind of spoke about the different waves of coffee and then dived in a bit deeper in terms of specialty coffee and how that really is defined and graded globally. Yes. Um, so I think the next thing is to talk about traceability and transparency and why that is such an important agenda for us and um, topical globally, even though a lot of stakeholders aren't really participating, but it, it is changing. I think it will change yes. dramatically. Yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, it's quite a complex um, topic to talk about because there are a lot of variables. So I think to get the conversation going, and what I love to always do is talk in context. So yeah. let's maybe talk about how coffee is traded, because this is something that kind of blew my mind when I first you know, found out about it and was doing research um, on coffee when we first started our business yes. five years ago. And it still continues to blow my mind how uh, the process works. And I think a lot of people who maybe aren't directly involved in the coffee industry but um, are part of it by way of purchasing coffee uh, I think it's quite important for people to know. Yes, yeah. And to actually understand, because you can't really talk about traceability and transparency and pricing if you don't really understand the context and the different processes, because it's, as with all things, it's relative. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you need to basically know how it works to fully understand it. Yeah. So I guess like we let's, let's start from the farmer. Yeah. Yeah, so essentially, so coffee takes um, generally in Africa has like um, harvests in once a year. So there's only one harvest here. Um, sometimes there's two harvests, but not too often. You mainly focus on your main harvest once a year. Mm -hmm. So there's a farmer, a farmer grows coffee trees, and these coffee trees need to be tended to throughout the whole year, and then coffee's um, when it's ripe, the little fruits, which is a desirable color um, or desirable uh, ripeness, it gets picked. Then after it gets picked, it needs to get processed. So the, that processing is called a washing station. That kind of uh, um, next step in, in coffee. Yeah. So that part is either owned by the individual farmer, if he has the funds to actually build this, this uh, um, station, and how often is that situation where the farmer owns the washing station? I think is it more rare to have other stakeholders own that? 
So I th so. Well, in your experience, obviously yeah. you haven't been to every yeah. single farm lot. Yeah, so I think a majority of them, um, people would rather take a 2A well-known washing station um, just because the process um, is a little bit more clean and a little bit more organized. Um, farmers do sometimes will naturally um, kind of dry and process their coffee, mm -hmm. which is a very basic way of processing coffee and sometimes not desirable um, for the end user and for the buyer. Um, so generally, if coffee is bought, it's generally taken to a established mill, either owned by the government. Okay. In some instances in Africa, um, like where we get our coffee from, uh, from Sydney Macklet actually own their own washing yeah. station. But that took time because yes. the reason why, yes, it, it requires, um, you know, additional um, space and the equipment and technologies and all of that it's costly oh yeah big and time. that's why they don't have it yeah so that most of the time it yeah. gets outsourced you know and yeah. taken to a specific washing station or a government or ngo owned washing yes. mill so yeah. after that the coffee gets processed and we'll do a proper video on different processing methods oh yeah and, that will be really interesting and podcast okay, cool. um, to talk idea. about uh, a bit more on the processing method so mm -hmm. from that processing um the coffee is dried out um, but it's still not ready to be shipped yet. Mm -hmm. So the next process is it has to go to a mill. And the mill um, actually takes off the outer shell um, that protects the actual individual little green beans. And that's a dehulling process. And generally these mills are government-owned mills. Um, very seldom you get uh, privately owned mills. Um, so most of them are owned by NGOs or government mills. Mm -hmm. And this is where the coffee kind of finally gets to a stage where you can assess the actual individual green bean mm -hmm. and then they get quality graded again there and then it gets packed into its different lots um, different sizes and different grades at this mill mm -hmm. um, and then packaged into the classic hessian bag we all know that mm -hmm. coffee is but from that point it then goes to a trading floor or trading house either owned by governments or if in some cases um, that coffee will then be sent back to the farmer or the farmer already has a buyer and ensures that um, the coffee gets processed from there sure. packed on a pallet, packed in a container, whatever it might be mm -hmm. and then it needs to be transported either by air, which is very seldom happens, uh, truck or by ship. Um, so from that point it goes from that washing station from the trading house then it goes to the transporting logistic business yeah and then it needs to get all the way to either the coast mm -hmm. or to a international airport or port, a, or port of some yeah. form okay then it gets put onto a ship or uh, a truck and then it has to get to its destination from whoever purchased it so that be whatever country you are uh, buying from and that's the importer or a trader yeah that does that yeah okay. so we've got that step now the important trader has it at um, at the harbour and they need to clear customs and pay taxes on, on that raw ingredients and now we get to the point where most roasters deal with the green coffee and that's the price that roasters generally know is at that point and then from there the roaster will buy the green beans from the importer or trader and then he'll roast the coffee lose his 15 to 16 percent weight on that raw ingredients by just drying or like roasting the coffee yeah. uh, and then it gets sold to the consumer. Yes. So it's quite a long process. Okay. 
okay. just to get a, a, a roasted coffee to your consumer. Okay. So, I, I mean, how do we talk about pricing in this context? Because there's obviously different uh, green bean prices. So an importer, for example, will send out their uh, green bean price list to roasters and coffee companies that are buying green beans to roast. Now, that price list is based on different regions from where the coffee is sourced, from the grade and quality of coffee, um, but it's generally a per kg price. Now, this can range from, I mean, what's the cheapest coffee we've seen on a price list in this quarter? So let's keep it according to, to this, the 2020 first yeah, quarter. Yeah, so, so the cheapest coffee I've seen now um, has been, I'll say 49 Rand. Okay. Yeah, 49 Rand is the cheapest per okay, kg. 49 Rand per kg for green beans that a roaster will purchase from the um, uh, importer. Now, okay, so let's just work that, uh, work with that um, on a on a linear scale. And then, what is the most expensive kind of? Well, definitely specialty coffee, but that would be readily available because obviously you get pr a cup of excellence, which is a another whole another topic which yeah. we'll talk about in a separate yeah. podcast. But something that you know people are purchasing on a commercial level that is relatively viable as a as a specialty coffee. So that can start off anything from 110 rand per okay. kg for a raw ingredient up to 450, 500 rand per kg depending on that score. Yeah. So that's talking about coffee that's scored 85. Yes. Uh, out of the Q grading system, um, up to we really see something that scores 91 yeah. South Africa. So that is insane to me. So I just want to repeat this so that people really understand like the context of what we're saying. So you can essentially buy green beans for 49 rand per kilogram, x yeah. that, up to 400 rand per kilogram expats but what i've seen from just a consumer level so i'm coming in from the point of view yeah. of the consumer is when i'm going to buy a flat white from any given place uh, whether it be and i'm not going to include um your uh high turnover fast food places like McDonald's because we all know where they fall on, on this uh, um, category scale, yeah. or the scale. But, um, you know, your, your franchises that are known to just do coffee, your private uh, coffee businesses, your standalone roasters yeah. and that kind of thing. Generally, you're paying 30 Rand for a flat white. Yeah, in, definitely in Cape Town. Yeah. Uh, definitely around about price, uh, 28. So, I mean, does oh. that say to me, like, is everyone buying 49 Rand green bean coffee? Well, I, th I can happily tell you, like, you know, 95% of Cape Town um, based shops are buying 
within that that lower end price point for sure. They okay, so let's be fair. It might not be forty nine rand or whatever. It could be up to maybe eighty. Eighty rand. I think, yeah, I think eighty that's rand. Unlikely. And then yeah. of course you do have your specialty roasters. Um, who do have a higher price point naturally because their cost is higher and yeah. it's a more superior product and it's a higher quality and as Ernest explained this process is um, quite strenuous getting Correct. from farmer to cut yeah. so I for me the the price thing is what blows my mind because now you have a farmer selling what is he what is he or she selling their coffee per kg if a roaster is purchasing it for 49 rand per kilogram? So again, let's just take, I'm looking at extremes yeah. um, just so that we can, can compare because yeah. then it's easier. Like once that farmer, as you said, has uh, spent the time, money, energy, uh, and resources, farming, picking, then it goes to the washing station, then it goes um, to the traders, then it's exported, then it's imported, then it's sold to the roaster. Like, if you just work backwards, what is that farmer left with? Like, what, I, I mean, is there like a, a minimum kind of wage or benchmark that farmers get paid per kilogram? So, so, what the kind of research I've done and what I've kind of asked people around within that spectrum, so, the, so I'm talking about somebody spectrum, that's, that's spectrum, spectrum yeah. sorry, um, of people buying the green coffee in the particular country. So the general conversation... Are you talking about the, the importer now or the trader? The trader or the okay. importer. So okay. whoever's purchasing this coffee yes. from the trading So we're not floor. talking about roasters purchasing yeah. from importers. We talk, yeah. Let's just clarify yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. So, so importer or trader buying it from either the government or yeah. from washing station or NGOs within the particular yes. country. Okay. So what I've, what I've heard is that from that purchase price from that country, if there was good business practice all the way down to the farmer, he'll get 49% of the FOB price. So FOB price is free on board or freight on board. So that means the coffee has already been processed and it's in the Hessian bag ready to go into a container. Okay, so the FOB is the freight on board price and you're saying that from that purchase price, the farmer generally gets 49% of that if that's if they follow good business practice. Correct, if they're which, fair. Yes. Which isn't the case. Well, at least from our experience. Correct, yeah. yeah our personal experience, obviously there's other yeah. people that may have experienced it differently, but based on our conversations with a lot of importers globally, not just locally, a lot of roasters, a lot of stakeholders, farmers directly that we are in contact yeah. with, some earn 20 cents, and this is dollar, uh, dollars, US yeah, cents, yeah. uh, per kilogram. Correct. That is insane to me. Yeah. That is absolutely insane. Yeah. So now you have this, this middleman. And the thing is, there's no shame to the middleman. Of course you need those procedures, you know, like yeah. we... Uh, there are um, barriers to entry where 
roasters like ourselves often can't get direct access to farmers and you rely on these importers. I totally understand yeah. those processes. What I don't understand are the economics, yeah. the numbers. Yeah. Yes, I understand everybody needs to take a cut, but it just seems that the people doing the least amount of work are getting the biggest cut, cut but unproportionately big. Oh yeah, big time. You know, I understand that there's risk and there are other costs involved that we haven't even spoken about yeah. from the importer side. I totally acknowledge and get that. But how, the question really is, is how is that sustainable for the farmer? You know, yeah. what motivates the farmer currently in that, in that kind of situation is desperation and survival. Oh yeah. It's definitely not thriving. No. It's definitely not long term. Yeah. So then that begs the question, and this is why I like to talk about all stakeholders involved, because I feel if you are supporting that kind of trade where you're buying cheap coffee, you need to then sell it to your consumers at a cheaper price and Correct. at least be transparent about it because there will always be a market for that i'm not saying you know completely disregard cheap commodity coffee you must only have specialty premium quality coffee at an at a high valued price i just don't understand why you pay as much as you do for cheap coffee where the farmer literally gets nothing yeah. the quality of the coffee is also terrible yeah. and you're paying such exorbitant prices like i don't get it I understand it for specialty coffee because that's a different process you're talking about now at just to clarify at at the cafe experience yes at the cafe experience yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean but then again can you really blame the cafe because they've purchased the green beans at a higher price and of course, they've got their own markup and costs and, um, uh, you know, the, the different variables that they need to take into account to also make a profit. Yeah. So I also get that. Yeah, yeah. So where does the problem lie in this continuum then? Well, I think there's so many hands from the farmer mm. um, before it even ends up uh, at the, the roaster. Mm -hmm. So... You know, I, 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 there's obviously definitely a market for lower end coffee. I'm talking lower end coffee, meaning um, lower quality coffee. Yes. So that commodity style graded coffee. Yeah. I think the the problem is that it's not being purchased direct from a farmer. So if we had to pay that the the commodity price points, which is roughly around it, it forever changing but around two us dollars per kg if we had to pay two us dollars to the farmer directly as the roaster and you know everybody without having to pay additional trader and all that that coffee will still come in the same price as what the trader is selling it to us for and um, and we can have a sustainable business model but it's everybody in between that's taking advantage of it and telling the farmer that, oh, we have to sell it for $2. And that's oh, so the issue. Fantastic. So this is why transparency becomes so important because this kind of information isn't 
disclosed. So traceability and transparency are two very different things, and I, I want to clarify that first before we continue. Cool. So uh, to trace coffee and its source and its origin, um, for the most part with these lower-end, low-quality commodity coffees, it's almost near impossible. The paper trail goes back so far and uh, lots are bundled together and whatever, and you don't know what you're getting. It's quite yeah. like. In other contexts, even your, your uh, lower commodity green beans can be traced back if the roaster has an, an interest, which uh, I think is highly unlikely because you're buying a lower end coffee. So yeah. you, I don't think you necessarily Traceable care. to province. Maybe. Yeah, traceable to province. But I mean, that, that's kind of all the information that they would probably get. And then, of course, you get other grades and other importers that do, and roasters that inquire and importers that disclose um, the country, the region, the province, perhaps the farm lot, um, and perhaps the GPS coordinations of the farm. Um, and that can be traceable. But the, the transaction that takes place where the coffee, the green beans are bought from the farmer, isn't transparent. And that is a huge difference. Yeah. Where, as roasters, you cannot get information on what that green bean was purchased for. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I understand economics. Like, people need to... Um, you know, purchase wholesale on high volumes and they don't disclose the prices because it is sensitive to market fluctuations and uh, supply and demand, which impacts price and, and things like that. But when it comes to the detriment and survival of a human being, there is something flawed in that process. Yeah. Like, we are living in the year... 2020 and everybody loves to talk about 2020 vision and you know living in this age of AI and innovation and as far as I'm concerned we have no innovation we are still in terms of business practices and supply chains operating on what was developed a hundred years ago with, with trading and that to me just makes no sense. I don't understand how we can support um, a commodity that is growing exponentially. I mean, I just read today that since 1998, coffee consumption has grown by 50% globally in That's 10 huge. years. It's huge. And what is the farmer left with? Yeah. Well, the prices are decreasing like, by 6% every year. Their standard of living hasn't increased. Their opportunity to control and regulate prices and be entered into these discussions of price setting, they are not invited to that table. They yeah. are not having this discussion. They are not part of this economy yeah. at all. Yeah, They're not growing. They're not growing. And so what motivates the next generation of farmers? And sure, we can have technology and machines picking cherries and, and all of that. But um, as I mentioned in previous blog posts, there's something that's un, un, 
tangible or I don't know what the word is, like maybe ethereal that cannot be achieved by machine picking, yeah. you know? And I think that's where specialty coffee really is gonna shine a light on this topic and really separate. I mean, obviously it is separated from commodity coffee quite easily. It's a higher yeah. grade coffee. Um, but knowing that you know the source, yeah. knowing what that farmer was paid, knowing that you have a high quality coffee, you're gonna to want to support that. You're gonna to oh, yeah. want to buy that coffee. That's it. It's like getting a knockoff designer bag as opposed to the real thing. Yeah. You can imitate it to the exact yeah. stitch, but if it's not an original, why would you pay that exorbitant price? That's it. You know? Yeah. Okay, I think we need to take a break because okay. the camera's going to cut out and Bella has been walking around like a maniac trying to get out of this house. Yeah. Um, but we'll continue in part two. Continue in part two. See you now. Ah, cool. Bye. Bye. Bye.